This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. There's a fascinating connection that exists between a vital purpose and a focused mission statement. So um, some mission statements set companies apart for what they do. Um, So JetBlue is an airline. And listen to their mission statement. To inspire humanity both in the air and on the ground. And let's be honest, lately in the airline industry, there's been a lot on the ground. Um, So um, hopefully they're inspiring that. Um, Tesla, uh, the founder of Tesla was recently in the news a lot for purchasing another company, but Tesla's mission statement, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Or TED, like in TED Talks, their simple mission statement is spread ideas. So they're just dispelling, they're just spreading ideas. LinkedIn is a a way for business leaders to connect, to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. Uh, PayPal, so we all get that from some sites that make us pay using PayPal. To build the world's most convenient, secure, cost-effective payment solution. Or, uh, sorry, toggling all the boxes for everybody in the room. Uh, Nike, to bring innovation, or to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, asterisk. And then underneath it, they put another asterisk. If you have a body, you're an athlete. Isn't that nice of them to rope us all in? I feel inspired and innovative already. So, uh, while these companies are pointing to big realities, big things, they envision what this looks like on the ground. And that's reflected in their branding, in their message, and what they're saying to the world. It's reflected in what they're saying, what they're communicating, the message that they carry. And that's the case for our church as well, right? We have a significant overarching purpose statement that's related to helping everyone glorify and enjoy God forever. That's what we're about. With every bit of energy we can muster, we want everybody to glorify and enjoy God forever. But what does that look like deployed in our world? Like, what does it look like for your workplace on a Monday morning when maybe somebody's just got a case of the moon days? <laughs> you know, like, what, is it, what does it look like to glorify and enjoy God forever there? Or what does it look like um, in the struggles of your life, you know, in your home life? What does it look like? Um, what does it look like for us to live out the significant purpose, to glorify and enjoy God forever? Well, this is what we're trying to get at in the Jesus Project. So. The Jesus Project is a sermon series we did back in November. It's talking about um, this idea we have to know Jesus and to make him known. Jesus has told us what we need to be about. That's why we're calling it the Jesus Project. Knowing him and making him known to the world. And with this comes news or comes a message. The good news that God has made a way for humanity to flourish. That God has made a way for us to make a difference in the world. And it's in this news that Jesus came to earth that he lived a life of absolute perfection, that he died in the place of sinners, and he rose again and he rules and reigns from heaven today. This is the great good news that we have. And we're invited into this work of knowing him, knowing Jesus and making him known to others, making this news known to others. So this calling intersects the Bible in that there is news about Jesus in the Bible. And what we make known about Jesus is located in the Bible. 
uh, we fleshed this out in a couple definitions. So let me just remind you of those. One definition that we defined back in November was how, uh, God, how God makes disciples. And here's the definition. God makes disciples through dependent disciples, speaking and demonstrating his word so that people love Jesus and others in all of life, for all of life. So the scope of this work is compelling too. So we, we've seen that in a definition we talked about in November, that we persuade others to know Jesus and make him known through every facet and activity of our life together in the church. And from there, we go into every corner of this dark world. So dependent people like us, again, building on last week's sermon, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, and he's inviting us to ask anything from him that he might give it in this mission that we've been given. Um, dependent people like us will be people of God's word so that we can know Jesus and make him known. Now today we are going to go in the magical land, of, it's not the magical land of make-believe, sorry. It's the magical world of real life in the Bible. We're going to Acts 17 where uh, we, we see a church established by Paul in the Grecian town of Thessalonica. So let's read what happens there in Acts 17. It's probably gonna help if I'm in that passage too. So Acts 17, and we're just gonna read this narrative because it informs what we're gonna read in 1 Thessalonians 1. So here's what we read there in these opening nine verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, I'd like to meet those guys in the street, wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked this house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So we have this story. This is how this church was formed in Thessalonica. And it's gonna be important that we know that because when we get into 1 Thessalonians 1 in just a second, you're gonna hear some stories about how they're receiving the word. And I wanted you to hear how they've received the word. So it wasn't like an easy reception. That change brought a lot of difficulty to these people. Uh, being drug out by men of the rabble and having to pay a bribe to get out of jail. Uh, just all kinds of stuff, it's crazy. But what we saw in, this, in, these, in Acts 17 is knowing Jesus and making him known. That was what was at the center of this church startup, right? Did you see Paul use God's word? He, he went into the synagogue and he reasoned, he explained to them from the scriptures, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. So these questions are the kind of questions like, how does knowing Jesus and making him known relate to the word? That's what we're thinking about today as we jump into this letter Paul wrote to these Thessalonican believers. 
He wants them to live in some of the realities that were present from the start. And this move is gonna be encouraging for them, but it's certainly gonna be encouraging for us. And by the way, if you're new to church today, uh, we're so glad that you'd come and worship with us today. You may wonder, what does this mean for me? Like I've been here like 45 minutes. Like, what does this mean for me? Well, think about how God has written down things in his word for you to flourish. God cares about your life. And this means he's put things down in writing for your good. Like he's not left it out there mysterious. It's not like a, it's not like National Treasure Disney special or something. He's made it really clear. He's written it down in his word so that you can know exactly how to live and flourish. He's out for your good. So today, um, as we jump into this passage in 1 Thessalonians 1, join me as we see three connections between God's word and the Jesus Project, or three connections between God's word and knowing Jesus and making him known to others. So let's read this passage now. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 10. Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So three connections between God's word and the Jesus Project, or three connections between God's word and knowing Jesus, making him known. And the first connection is that God's word carries the good news of God's love for us in Jesus. It carries good news. It carries the gospel message. So it's a very particular way. It carries the good news of God's love for us in Jesus. So Paul opens up this book reminding the church in Thessalonica of kind of there's a gospel history that informs the way they came into being. He's thanking God for them. He's mentioning them in his prayers. And this isn't just like preacher speak. He's not like trying to lay it on thick for them because he's got something to say. He's actually thanking God for what he remembers about them. And what does he remember about them? In verse three, he remembers their work of faith, that their faith wasn't just an empty faith. Their faith was full of works that went with that. So their work of faith their labor of love. That love wasn't just saying like, hey, we really love you, we love one another. Love was seen in work. And we all know, love sometimes takes a lot of work because uh, a lot of us are really unlovely people. Um, and then there's this steadfast hope in Christ, this steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. I mean, what a, what a great, uh, trio, a great triad that should describe the people of God. 
that we would be characterized by big faith, that we're believing great things about God. And that's leading to the way we live, that we have an amazing love for one another and that we have a steadfast hope that's not based on circumstances, but it's rooted in Jesus and settled. That God loves people is well known and God's intentions in verse, uh, verse four here, we know brothers loved by God, we know that God loves people and God's intentions or his choice of people were seen in the gospel coming to them. Um, it wasn't merely in word alone, but in the power, in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. I mean, this is an amazing statement. I, I still remember hearing a sermon from like Martin Lloyd-Jones on audio about this. This is, uh, you know, um, not in word only, but the power of God. You know, just something like this, how preachers do, you know. Um, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, this is how the word moved into their lives. So this is, this is the case. The Holy Spirit's power is gonna be seen when he's convicting us of sin. This is what he does. And the Spirit's gonna draw us away from our own desires to a higher purpose, to magnify Christ. So the word includes good news that came into the lives of these believers. It was the word that came. So Paul came and he lived a certain way among them. Um, in verse six, we see this. Paul lived a certain way among them. And this work is kind of the engaging part. You remember these four E's we talked about that in this work to know Jesus and make him known, we all might be along a spectrum of these four E's that some people just need to be engaged with a, an unbeliever. Like we just engage people who don't know any Christians. They don't have a church home. They just need engaged. And then there's people that need evangelized. And then once they become evangelized, they step into being established. And then once they're established, they need to be equipped to do this work. And we see all four of those in this passage. And this is the engaging part, that Paul came and lived among them a certain way. They didn't know Christ before Paul came. So he came and he lived among them a certain way. He was a certain kind of man among them. And so I think it's a great reminder to us, don't underestimate the way you live before the watching world. The world is looking for someone who's characterized by power. In other words, like they're not impressed when you fake it. And when I fake it, when we just put on the smile and you know, start talking this Christianese, all shucks kind of language, the world doesn't look at that and go, now there's someone genuine that God has really changed. The world's looking at that and going, what kind of act is this? This is faker than a TikTok video. I mean, that's how the world looks at us. So Paul, Paul's living among them and it, it's meant to be real, like by power, the Holy Spirit. What impresses these people is when the gospel moves in, it takes over the neighborhood. When the true gospel comes into your life, it changes things. Your life is not the same. Things get shuffled. Priorities get reordered. This is what the gospel does. Despite everything that should be true on paper, there's something unique about the gospel's work in you. There's something that he's changing in you. And specifically verses nine and 10 of this passage wrap up showing what this evangelism looked like, right? So Paul engages them by living a certain way among them so he's not faking it, he's genuine and real. And verses nine and 10 show how this good news was received in their lives. Verse nine. 
It meant turning from idols to serve the living and true God. So there was a change in allegiance. Uh, this service to God must have meant that everything didn't have to go their own way, right? They no longer were serving idols. They were serving him. They would patiently wait for Jesus from heaven, the risen one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Some of us aren't excited and moved by the resurrection and Christ's return because we're too busy trying to fix all the stuff of this world in our own strength. We're not trusting that someday he is gonna come and right all these wrongs. We don't have a trust that he's able to do that. And so we're laboring and working our fingers to the bone and we're anxious and we're stressed out about all this stuff that we gotta be these social justice warriors and figure all this out and fix and change this world. The mission is about spreading Christ and he will change the world. When he comes, all the wrongs will be right. When he returns, judgment will be perfect. Congress may not have their act together now, but when Jesus comes, he will put it right. Praise God. Um, you know, so it's great stuff, right? Um, he's someday, he's gonna right these wrongs. But we've been given a mission in the midst of that, right? To engage others with this good news so they could hear it and they could turn from lesser gods to serve the living true God. That is our mission. And we're pulling people. So you might think, well, that mission is just, that's a huge thing. It is. We're asking them to change what their life is completely devoted to, to the one true living God. And God's word connects to this because it reveals God's love for us in Jesus. He's the one that's making the connection. God's word, it's telling us this news that people need to hear. They need to be engaged and they need to be told this news. So God's word connects to the Jesus Project in that way. Secondly, in verses six and seven, we see a connection between God's word. We see how a connection between God's word and our knowing Jesus and making him known as the reception of God's word clarifies our hearts. The reception of God's word clarifies our hearts in verses six and seven. So Paul was living a certain way among these people but look at this, they became imitators of him. They became imitators of Paul and his team and the Lord himself. Now, the reason why I think this is worth attention is because this imitation means that Paul wasn't sharing a message that wasn't affecting him, right? He was being affected by the gospel. He was being changed by God's word. And that gave, his, that gave his example power. The, the changed life is how we know that we're handling the Bible rightly. I know in, in, we're in a Bible church, handling the Bible rightly might be a big deal to you. And handling the Bible rightly is not so much based on whether we see the Bible like some respected Bible teacher does. That's never been the standard. How we handle the Bible, and even like we know this from false teachers, their description's not like, well, how do they understand the law or some like tertiary doctrinal issue? No, the issue for false teachers and the issue for us is, are we being changed by God's word? Are we living in conformity to it? How is God's word shaping your life? How is it shaking your life? <laughs> Not just shaping, but how is it messing everything up in your life? 
like, oh, I'm so infuriated, but I gotta love these people because the Bible says when God's word is shaping our lives, that's how we know we're handling the Bible rightly. If the Bible's leading you just to live however you want, you're not being shaped by the Bible because the Bible's always gonna draw you away from serving secondary, worthless idols to serve the one true God. That's what it's gonna lead to. It's always gonna lead you to Christ. It's gonna lead you to life change. So the charge laid upon Paul and his team back in the Acts 17 passage was, listen, these people are turning the world upside down. I mean, that's amazing. How did those people know that? There was something about Paul's life that it wasn't that the world, Paul's world was turned upside down, right? His team's world was turned upside down. Lives were being changed because of God's work. Is that true for your life? So maybe that's an excellent question for those of you who are being established in what we believe. Is there any difference today in your life compared to the way it used to be? Or are you just maintaining the status quo? And by the way, maintaining the status quo, biblically speaking, is failing to grow, usually disobeying, and often failing to apply God's word to our lives. Now again, I'm not one to be like a mean pastor and beat you up and leave you in a corner for dead or something. Um, because I know some of you in this room are going through horrendous struggles in life. It's heavy. Um, we're gonna get to that in just a second. But just are you being shaped by God's word? Is it shaking you? Is the truth about Jesus changing anything about your life? God's mission calls you to have a tender heart regarding knowing Christ. And looking to him consistently means that he's increasingly changing us. Now, what about this affliction? What about these believers in Thessalonica? Well, they're becoming imitators of God, but the text also tells us that they're receiving the word at, grace, at, at great personal inconvenience to themselves. So look at that in verse seven. So uh, or at the end of verse six, you became entertainers of us and of the Lord and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So at great personal inconvenience themselves. We don't have any inclination or way, we, like we don't know, but I really doubt if this is saying that, that uh, God was getting the leftovers of their life as it was convenient for them. I think Paul's drawing the spotlight on this to say, no, it is a great personal inconvenience for them. They're receiving the word and it's costing them something to believe that. They're receiving the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they're not looking at this as saying like, oh, you're taking away all my freedoms, I can't believe. You know, the Bible's just a killjoy. It's just ruining all my fun. No, Paul's saying that the Bible's changing our lives in a way that we receive it and it's a joy to step into this obedience. It's a joy to step into this way of life. And their way of life was so notorious that other believers heard of the impact that Jesus and his words had on their lives and uh, it affected them too. So they, become, they became renowned for Jesus and his words changing them. Man, this year, this past year, so 
Um, I know I say this like every week, but I'm still, I'm still processing exactly why would God allow me to go through such physical suffering? So three surgeries, then Andrew had a surgery and Meg had a surgery. So five surgeries in our house in the past year. And I've looked in God's word for any kind of wiggle room that affliction would exempt me from obeying, from centering on Jesus. Yeah, I don't have to have joy here, do I, Jesus? But I can't, I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Instead, scripture's showing me just the opposite, that Jesus is so compelling that receiving him and hearing his word can give me joy despite the horrendous circumstances I face. It's telling me the opposite of that, that Jesus is more significant than anything that I'm facing. And this is what it looks like to be established in what we believe. That it's not so much just a wooden, like devotion to his word, but it's a a devotion to the living word that Jesus is changing us. That he's spoken these things and it's changing us. So even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of difficulty, even when it costs me, and it's a great personal inconvenience, I'm able to lean into him and there's joy there. Because this is, where else could I go? He has the words of eternal life. So are we in this with him as long as life is good and everything's going our way? Do we love him just for his benefits? Or is he changing our hearts? That any kind of difficulty is changing our hearts, that we're, we're tender to God, that we're leaning into him, that we're seeing he satisfies. God's word, Hebrews tells us, exposes the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It says like joints and marrow. I understand a little more about joints and marrow this past year as part of my knee bone was shaved off. I have pictures of this, by the way. Um, If you wanna get grossed out, my surgeon took my cell phone into surgery, gave the camera function to the nurse with my permission and took a picture of the unfolded knee. Um, And you can see the titanium. So, uh, you know, some people, um, like Luke's like, nope, you know. But if you're one of those crazy people and wanna see it, I'll show it to you after service, I'd love to. Um, Because it's it's fascinating. Anyway, um, God's word though, when it says it gets to the joints and the marrow, the thoughts and intentions of the heart, it means it's getting deep down to what's really going on in your life. When Jesus speaks, he cuts through all the chase of all the garbage. And he gets down to the, right, the root issue. So that's when I'm, when I'm saying that um, this is how it connects to knowing Jesus and making him known is when he speaks, the reception of his word, how we receive his word, it clarifies our hearts. It shows what's really going on when we hold it up to him and what he said. Well, third, finally, there's another connection between God's word and this mission that we've been given. And finally, it goes is this last, uh, God's word goes from us to every corner of this dark world. It goes from us everywhere. So verse eight tells us this, that what has gone forth, you know, it's like the Thessalonians weren't just sitting there like, I'm sending up good vibrations. You know, they're not just sending out good vibes. They're not just sending out pleasant thoughts, but they are sending out God's word. They are sending out God's word to others. And this is what sounded forth from these believers to others. Do you see that in verse eight? That God's word had sounded forth from them to others. 
This is the equipped part. Paul had, the gospel had established them and as they're established now, they have been equipped to spread this to the world. They're giving it to others. And it's, again, it's not just pleasant thoughts, good vibes or whatever. It's God's word is going out. It's sounding forth. It's, it's like a big bell, bang, you know. It's sounding forth. God's word is just ringing out across Macedonia and Achaia because of how his word has, Jesus has settled and changed hearts. God's word is embodied in their faith. Do you see that connection in verse eight? For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So what they believe about Jesus relates to esteeming his word and embracing that message and living that out. That had sounded forth. Their faith was at the center of this. It's gone everywhere. And to such a degree that Paul hasn't had to say anything. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? This is an impressive witness. I mean, imagine if God's word and the good news surrounding, the, the good news that it carries was so changing our lives, so taking root in our lives that others in our world are being affected to such a degree that church planting pioneers like Paul didn't have to add to this witness. I mean, just think about what that would be like in our community, that it was so affecting us, that it was just ringing out everywhere we go. It was just amazing. So they were well aware of God's role in people's lives. They were well aware of the mission that they'd been given and we're stepping into that. So our faith is spread through verbally sharing this message with others. That's the norm. So Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The norm is that we're, we're verbalizing this message. And in this case, the good news, the gospel message is supported by changed lives that are super compelling to a watching world. Those changed lives are so provoking that they, what's going on? There's something different about you, I don't understand. So how might this encourage you? God's word propelling us outward with the change that Jesus has accomplished in our lives. I mean, don't you wonder at times, like how is the world ever gonna be affected by Jesus? And I think God is holding up this church at Thessalonica for our benefit. The way Jesus is gonna be capturing the world is by capturing us. And as we are captured by him, then we go to the world and say, you're not gonna believe this. Like the woman at the well, right? Come, let me tell you about a man who told me everything I've ever done. Like, you're not gonna believe this guy. I found the Messiah. My life's changed, you can't believe this. The Jesus enraptures us. So these people, this church, they're not wanting to center on other little G gods. They're not wanting to be devoted to idols. They don't wanna center on themselves and their wants but the good news had come to them and they have gone all in. No turning back, no turning back. They have gone all in. Knowing Jesus and making him known has changed their lives and they want others to get it. And it's not just a lip service to this. I mean, as you read these verses, do you really believe that Paul's like taking a poll and most of the people in Thessalonica really like the idea of them going into the world and sharing this with others? No, I get the impression that they have bought in. They're not like just giving verbal assent. They are living their lives to this end. That um, means that even amid affliction, even a great inconvenience to them, they've had to come to terms with what Jesus will mean for them. 
and having Jesus has changed everything. And because of this, they go into a dark world. Their witness just boom, boom, it, it just bounces on. So in conclusion today, we've seen three connections between God's word and this mission we've been given. That God's word actually carries the good news of God's love for us in Jesus. It carries the gospel message. The reception of his word clarifies our hearts. When we receive that, it reveals all kinds of things about our hearts and what's going on. And then God's word, when it's received, it's undoubted, it's gonna rebound and go to others, to every corner of this world. So on one level, this sermon tells the story of lives that have been changed by the good news of the Bible. So has that good news changed you? God's love for you is seen as he has sent his son, Jesus, to live perfectly, to die in the place of sinners, to rise from the dead. His life and death and resurrection have changed everything. Knowing him redirects you from selfish desires to him. So is this message changing you? Have you turned from your ways to his? The, the Bible's remedy is to invite you to believe. Like, it's like two sides of the same coin. In one sense, you're turning from all the things you could build your life on, and you're trusting. I'm gonna go with what God has said. I'm gonna believe him. So do that today, if you haven't. Uh, we will have like an elder right up here after the service just uh, to pray with you, to talk with you. You can grab a Christian friend. We'd love to talk to you. Grab one of us after the service. We'd love to chat with you about these things if you need more information. Jesus changes everything, and we want you to believe this good news. And on another level, this passage draws us out. So those of us who have believed that good news, um, this passage is showing the effect of God's word in our lives, is it's gonna draw us upward and outward. Upward and outward. So we're drawn up to Jesus. This means that we die to ourselves. Or to put it another way, just get over yourself. <clears throat> get over yourself. Um, die, die to yourself, that's almost Christianese. Like we know that's the right answer. Yeah, I, knew, I had a hard week dying to myself this week. Yeah. Right, just get over yourself. Um, so some of us are so weak when it comes to the mission to helping others know Jesus because we can't get over ourselves. It's always about us. There's always some sort of excuse. There's always something that we want to put up in the way. Yeah, but um, it's always about us and our ways. And so if you want to grow, maybe ask another believer who could be honest with you. Maybe you just give them permission. Would you be honest with me and ask them, am I being selfish in any area of my life right now? And then don't argue with them. That's what it would look like for you to get over yourself. Am I being selfish in any area of my life right now? So that simple question is gonna help you turn from idols to the living God. And the effect of this then is to get your eyes off of yourself because your eyes in the gospel reality is, are gonna go straight to Jesus. We look to him, our eyes are turned upward. So if someone in this body asks you that question, I hope you'll help them redirect their gaze to heaven. Don't just let them wallow in selfishness. You can tell them whether or not they're being selfish or not. But then just immediately redirect them. Yeah, look to Jesus. He's so much better, isn't he? He's so, he's so much more captivating. So we're going to be turned upward. And the effect then, the result then of being turned upward is, then we're going to start, we're going to be uniting arms with all those who are looking upward. 
and we're going to be on mission. We're going to be turned outward. We're going to be turned outward to others. So who's somebody that the Lord is directing you to? Who has he put in your life who might need to experience the change that he brings? And if you don't have anyone that's coming to mind, maybe another just simple thing you could pray would be, God, for some reason, I've lost sight of the mission you've given me. Lead me to someone this week who I can help know your love. And I think God's gonna be faithful to that. Now you might say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of commitment. Right, so get over yourself, look to Jesus, and let's get on the mission together, because it's gonna be crazy. I mean, it's gonna come at the most inconvenient time of your week if you pray that prayer. You're gonna say, God, I'm ready to show your love to someone. Just direct my steps. Show me who I need to love this week. And it's gonna be like right in the middle of the busyness, right in the middle of the house being chaos, right in the middle of dinner, you're gonna get a phone call, right in the middle of checking out, something's gonna come your way, right in the middle of some inconvenient time in life, God's gonna intersect you with someone. And you get the opportunity, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be, that's the bewilderment of the mission. It's so exhilarating. In that moment, you're gonna be pulling your hair out going, there's no way I can do this. And then when you're done, you're gonna go, God, you were so faithful, I can't believe. I can't believe this happened. Um, you put this person in my life. And then I share that with someone. Man, we can be praying with you, we can be helping you. Um, you're not alone in this body as we're all trying to live that way. So when you come together, it shouldn't be like, well, I'm shocked that you're trying to love someone. When did this start? Well, no, like, we're all in this. So let's encourage one another in that work. So, uh, really, we glorify and enjoy God forever as we know Jesus and make him known to others. I hope you see a better connection to that after this sermon this morning. So let's step out into this daunting mission that Jesus has given us, understanding the connection between that mission and all that he's told us into God, in his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this um, passage. And oh, man, I would have loved to have been there on the streets of Thessalonica and seen this. And the great good news is I don't need to be in Thessalonica because I'm here in Hutchinson with these dear folks. You want to do the same thing with us. And so would you ravage our lives? Would you so upset them that the mission is where we walk? Would you give us grace to embody your word, to be so enraptured by Jesus that it just spills out of our lives, that our hearts are changed. We go everywhere you want us to go in this world and um, we see an impact. It's amazing. You're worth it. Jesus, you're glorious. You will always be glorious. Like we sang earlier in this service, forever our song will be, hallelujah, you've risen. Forever we will sing of your glory. And so would, we get, would you allow us to have the privilege of rehearsing that in the lives of people this week as we go on mission. We, we wanna embody this. And I know there's some in this room who are terrified at these prospects. And so I just wanna pray for their strength, remind them they're not alone, that there's tons of people in this body who love that mission and wanna encourage them in this. So give us grace. And I'm thankful for anyone here who's an unbeliever today. and they might never have thought about a relationship with you and they're just scratching their head going, what, uh, what is all this about? Is this really true? 
And I pray that you would come near to them and show them how compelling you are. Jesus, show them um, your selflessness. Show them how you laid down your life for them, that they might believe and, and see and experience your resurrection power in this moment today. Uh, we, we can't believe this is true. We can't believe we get to be in on this, but this is what you've done. So send us out as your people in a way that would honor you.